Hello. Hello. <laughs> we were just whiffering on for a minute there, and then Salesy worked out that she'd put the right mic in the wrong hole. As the mum said to the bishop. Yeah. Um, um, I was just disclosing that I have a sort of Fifty Shades of Grey style chest infection at the moment, which will involve, you know, really attractive coughing. <laughs> Can you let <laughs> one of those barks out? No, thanks. I, look, I, don't, I really don't want to really, you know put the turn-off factor <laughs> up top. I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll let one rip when you're least expecting it. You just all, you just, like, rip the headphones out of your ears and reel away, horrified. Oh, the humanity. For people who aren't familiar with what Crab's talking to when she's referring to having a Fifty Shades of Grey cough, I refer you to a previous <laughs> podcast episode where we went to see Fifty Shades of Grey and I had the most barking cough, which I also have at the moment too, and um, it was a real sat there rattler. watching the entire... <laughs> So erotic. <laughs> Film just... <laughs> it was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> anyway, we'll probably let a few rip in this podcast too. Um, thank you so much for bringing some lunch for me. Crab has brought me some rice paper rolls and in a nick of time because I'm starving and I'm busy and grumpy. I can just eat them. So And grumpy, exactly. <laughs> um, now, what have you been doing? Um, I have been... I've been racing around like a mad buffoon filming for um, Kitchen Cabinet because we've got to get the whole series on air. Just like consternatingly soon so um it's been quite fun although um i've been on planes too much and now that we've got like a couple of days without filming my body has just gone brilliant let's time uh, let's make time for a brief hideous cold to mm. really take over so um that's that's all been fun i also went to my grandmother's 100th birthday oh yeah it wow, was pretty was excellent it was good i saw it um, I think it was on Twitter you posted the most fantastic photo of her at the beach, was it? Yeah. Her? Picture, so um, my mum and her siblings had like dug out some um, photo albums, some of which I'd seen, but some of which I just hadn't. Mm. And one of them was about, was um, of her just having some fun with her mates before she got married. And there's this fabulous picture of all of them on the um, on the beach, just like, cavorting around like lunatics mm. but it's really good composition it was and a lovely quality photograph yeah yeah it was very um i was actually <laughs> thinking you should blow it up and get it framed i should yeah is i'm gonna get on who, to that is this your granny who doesn't like dirty books yeah <laughs> <laughs> um because you've been on planes a lot do you have time on the plane to read or watch for pleasure well <laughs> i've got some really great headline news for you oh, sales okay. and that is you watch um, the americans no come on Jeez, I don't give in that easily. Um, when I finally watch The Americans, it'll be like you standing over me with a mallet like Kathy Bates. Okay, I, it's coming. There's a cough coming. Sorry, guys. Here we go. Brace yourselves, everybody. Cover your ears. <coughs> Take that, Dennis Atkins and Malcolm Barr. You know their... Um, you know their new political podcast, which is called Two Grumpy Hacks. Mm. Um, in the year of the howling moron, very funny line. Um, they they are recording it apparently in a closet, but there's someone with a really bad hacking cough nearby, <laughs> constantly clearing their throat. So yeah, I've mocked them a bit about that online, and now of course now I'm you. yeah providing the same lovely service. Um, but yeah, the sound of your coughing and you enjoying that eating. lunch, by the way. Yes. Yeah, 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 it's delicious. delicious. That's right. um, so anyway, I went to Perth uh, to film with Michaelia Cash, mm-hmm. which will be an episode worth watching, and. Um, on the way, I watched movies because I was so prepped. Mm. And I was with my producer, I was very prepped. And we watched 
uh, two movies mm. on the flight to Perth. Wow. So I watched The Dressmaker first, which mm-hmm. I had been really, really upset about missing in the cinema because right. I looked at the shorts and thought, God, that just looks so up my alley. This is Kate Winslet's in it, right? Kate Winslet's so just, in can it. can you refresh my memory? What um, is the premise of Every it? single Australian actor that you've ever seen and admired is in it. Oh, okay. Judy Davis is in it, oh, okay. which is enough to make me you know, right. leave town and go to wherever that movie's showing ordinarily because I just love Judy Davis so much. Is it a famous director? <coughs> <coughs> uh, who directed it? Um, I'm just going to look that up because partly due to my fuzzy-headedness. Because you often assume if it's a um, film that has a lot of high-quality actors that they've been attracted because it has a quite high-quality... Oh, it's Jocelyn Morehouse. Oh, Jocelyn Morehouse, yeah. Mm. yeah. So here's the awkward thing, though. I really didn't like it. Mm. And so what's the basic story? So the story is that Kate Winslet um, arrives in the dead of night by train to this sort of Australian outback town and um, she obviously has some sort of dark secret. She's, she was born there but hasn't been there for years. Mm-hmm. She's got this sort of crazy cracker's mother that lives on a house on the hill right. who won't even acknowledge her as her daughter. That's Judy Davis, brilliantly Brilliant. played by Judy, Judy Davis. Mm-hmm. Um, and... All the townspeople hate and revile her because of something that she is supposed to have done in the past. Mm-hmm. And um, she is suspected of having murdered uh, one of her schoolmates when she was a child. Mm. But, and so, like, it's apparently the book is fabulous. I've not read it. Um, mm. But I don't know. Like, I really wanted to like it. I wanted to love it, in fact. I wanted to savagely love this film. Right. Um, and she's a dressmaker. And so she starts kind of rehabilitating herself and. Uh, kind of revolutionising the town by making these fabulous, fabulous gowns mm-hmm. for the dowdy ladies of the, the village. Anyway, and that's the thing I like most about it, actually, like the, the transformation and the frocks were really superb. Mm. But it was just so busy. It was, there, was, there was too many plot twists and too yeah. much kind of, you know that kind of Australian country town kook that people always feel like they've got to put in Australian Mm. movies. I don't know. There's always got to be someone who wanders around with a bucket on their head and, you know, and there's just too much kook. And then also, like, you know, quite a lot of trauma, which, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't necessarily dislike. I don't know. I just felt like as a film it needed to look in the mirror and take about three things off and Mm -hmm. then, you know, proceed. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I yeah. can't totally put off that. What was the other one that you saw? The other one I saw was Sisters, which is the Tina Fey... Um, oh, yeah, Amy Poehler. Amy Poehler mm. film. So I loved it, actually. Mm. I really, really liked it. Oh, OK, because the promo like, of that sort of didn't set my world on fire. So it's kind of... It's a really basic yarn. You mm-hmm. know, it's about these two sisters. They're a bit different. You know, one of them is a sort of like uptight control freak who's just got divorced and who's in a bit of a hole. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the Amy Poehler character. The Tina Fey character is this kind of slightly slutty, a bit no-hoper, keeps losing her job, has a daughter who's a teenager who's kind of a bit described, like is a bit, you know, kind of, come on, Mum, right. get your act together. And their parents, <coughs> the mother of whom Sorry. is... Oh, my God, you, you're really stepping on my... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow, we've got double I, Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, chop that baby. <laughs> Anyway, carry on. And anyway, their parents announce that they're selling their childhood home and they're both outraged and they right. go back to basically try and dissuade their parents from selling the house. And in the course of 
going back there, they decide they're going to throw a house party at their parents' house, yeah. which by this stage has already been sold. So, right. you know, of course it gets trashed and of course, right. you know, that's a disaster and whatever. But it's just like, it's a real buddy movie. Right. And there are just... It, it could be just a, an entirely conventional movie of that genre, like sort of screwball comedy kind mm-hmm. of thing. But it's just that the two of them have this capacity to, like, the jokes are just full on a little bit too much. Right. And then sometimes so outrageous that you just snort with laughter, <laughs> which I think after the dressmaker was exactly what I felt like. So it was, right. I really, really, like, I just laughed until I really honked oh, okay. a few times. Yeah. Oh, good. All right. I'll look out Yeah. That. That's like, um, I know we always talk about Veep, but I was texting you the other day when it was on some of the lines, which I yeah. can't remember now, but I was just barking because it was so <laughs> and they they always like step way over the line oh, oh yeah the line is just out of sight it's behind just, oh, massively out of sight behind um but just hilarious um I also saw a movie in the past fortnight because I was supposed to interview Jodie Foster on Monday. Clang. But I didn't because I lost my voice because I was sick. Oh, get out. So I had done all the prep and I had to just hand it off to somebody else to do it. Who did it instead? Monique Shafter, who did a very nice job with using all my questions and all my prep. Um, Anyway, but I went to see last week to get ready for that, her new film that she's directed called Money Monster. Right. Which stars George Clooney and Julia Roberts. And George Clooney is one of those finance show, you know, showman sort of characters that you see on American cable television, um, who uh, his studio is invaded by a guy who's disgruntled because he's lost all his life savings oh, yeah. putting them on a company. So it's a bit of a political statement type of Right. Thing. And it's like a hostage drama. Yeah, so he oh. takes the guy hostage on live TV. Wow. Well, he takes Clooney hostage on live TV. Julia Roberts is the director of the show that. in the control yeah. room. Um, and then it unfolds from there. There's some extremely... Please tell me there's no sexy angles between, like, Julia Roberts and... There's you know, no... Um, thank you, Jodie. There's no love interest. There's no romantic <coughs> oh, that's angles good. whatsoever. God, thank you, Jodie Foster. Um, and look, it, was, it certainly held my interest for the time. There was some massive, massively implausible bits in it and um, gigantic holes in the sort of, yeah, plausibility. But... Yeah, as a thriller, it was pretty. It was tense. It sort of it did hold my attention. Do you know what I really want to see, but I just haven't had time? Um, the first Monday in May, which is about the Met Ball. You know how every year in, the, in oh, New York they have where yeah, they have right. a costume sort is of. Is there a film thing. about that? Yeah. Oh, that would be up your alley, wouldn't it? Right Ross? up my alley. In fact, I went to a dinner um, the other week. Uh, I can't. I hope I didn't talk about this in the last podcast. Did I talk about going to dinner hosted by Harper's Bazaar with Gloria Steinem and all these amazing fashion people that were there? Just was so nice to go to dinner, and nobody was talking about politics or all the stuff that everyone that we mix with talks about. Everyone was talking about art and fashion. And sorry, playing. I mean, slow on my reflexes there. <laughs> Slipped that one under. The I was radar. just trying to remember if you talked about it on the last podcast too, because you've certainly told me about it, and oh, consequently, really boring me rigid right now. But I can't remember whether that was just you know. I probably did. Talk Hello. About it on the last podcast. Interru- sorry. Interruptions. Oh, I thought I said that would happen us. if we left this door open. I know, but I, I can't. I don't think we should be like in a soup of all of our combined germs because I know we're both ill. But can hardly get worse. No, but what if we have something that's not the same thing as the other person's got, and then I'm well, gonna... in case I get your lupus or something, <laughs> or my plantar warts. There you go, just rubbing my foot over yours tenderly. <laughs> at least, I don't know, are you going to try and hit me with a book or something? I may do. To... 
<laughs> if I judge it to be in all of our interests, I may hit you with a book. Um, anyway, so back to Money Monster. I, oh, if you're sitting at home on a Friday night and it comes up on your Netflix or something. I love when you do a really lukewarm, like, you're like, <laughs> well, I mean, it managed to hold my attention. I wasn't actually reading a book at the same time. <laughs> oh, dear. Do you know, um, hearing you talk about that actually reminds me about my favourite, oh, my God, my favourite hostage movie of all time. It's not formally a hostage movie. Okay, two of them. Yeah. One, Dog Day Afternoon, which is, that. oh. Yeah. It's where Al Pacino, in his hot years, like in his really, like, mm. uh, takes, it's from a true story, mm. he takes um, hostage an entire bank Mm. Um, with his crazy sidekick, um, who also who went on to play Sonny in um, in uh, uh, The Godfather, mm-hmm. and I was thinking you were going to say you went on to play Sonny in a Sonny and Cher biopic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Anyway, yeah. Anyway, it's a great film. So interesting and funny, and it was sort of funny in a black way, but right. it was shot. All in the one location, right. like one set. That's all. Anyway, oh, right. it's a great, great, great film. Okay. Um, so what's your other favourite? But my other favourite one is The King of Comedy. Mm. Have you ever seen that? Uh-uh. Uh, it's um, it's Robert De Niro mm. in this really unusual role, a completely um, kind of um, daggy, like he's a sort of failed comedian mm-hmm. who kind of lives in his mum's house and, and practices down in the basement. Mm-hmm. It's a Martin Scorsese film. Um, oh, I've never even heard of it. Oh, it's, yeah. it's just one of the greatest films of all time. Oh, and okay. Jerry Lewis is in it, you yeah. know, like the comedian Jerry Lewis. But in this, um, and he's a comedian in this um, uh, film. And, and De Niro's character, Rupert Pupkin, is obsessed, absolutely obsessed with Jerry Lewis and wants to go and, um, like be his friend and kind of hang out with him and he kind of stalks him and there's another stalker of Jerry Lewis called um, who, played by Sandra Bernhardt mm. and they're always like following him around to his gigs and stuff mm. and um, and Lewis is a real asshole um, and they end up taking him hostage oh my god it's it's they take Jerry Lewis hostage. yeah they do yeah mm. anyway it's um, one of the greatest movies of all time um, and Sandra Bernhardt is not crazily great. Um, it's funny in parts, but it's kind of, um, it's very dark as well. I don't know, it, it sort of defies classification. Mm-hmm. It's um, just a superb movie. So on that rainy Friday night, maybe just get that one. watch something that's genuinely fantastic. Do you know what my favourite <laughs> hostage movie is? What? Oh, Misery. Oh, that was yeah. just... Brilliant, but it's not my favourite, actually. Die Hard. Oh, yeah, of course. Oh, my God. Die Hard is Clear just... the next 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Willis. I mean... Oh, it's not... Bruce Willis, that could have been played by anybody. It's Alan Rickman yeah. who makes that film. Yeah. I mean, they must have just punched themselves in the face so hard so many times after that film because... Hans Gruber dies just in the most yeah. irretrievable way. Like, there's just no way you could pretend that, like, oh, he got—he actually landed on a mattress only one floor below. Like, no, we saw that dude fall backwards, five hundred and eighteen floors. Yeah, and who were the follow-up villains? Well, I want to say Rutger Hauer, but that's because I always want to say Rutger Hauer. I can't remember Rutger Hauer. There <laughs> but, we are. But in the in the last one, they had the son of Hans Gruber, so they obviously. But I mean, 
The reality is, if you don't have Alan Rickman, what can you do? Exactly. So it's all a bit tricky. I love Alan Rickman. It's all too late for that now, isn't it? Um, I think I've also talked about Eye in the Sky, haven't I? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, right, all right. Well, let's just, yeah. Well, you're out, eh? I've got more. I've got more. I've been, I've read popular novels. Wow. As well. I'd read The Girl on the Train. Oh, you read that? Yeah. Um, no, but I have been tempted to. Okay, well, you can have my copy of it okay. because I bought it at the airport. Yeah. I was, I think it was flushed with enthusiasm from my viewing of actual films. Mm. And so um, on a, as I was heading home from uh, a work expedition a couple of days ago, in the bookshop I mm. bought The Girl on the Train, which is like one of those – I always get mixed up these kind of super, super international smash hit bestsellers because mm. they're always called like – I get mixed up between the girl on the train and the girl with the tattoo and, and the girl with girl the and, and the girl with the pearl earring. Mm. I mean, that's going back a few years, but like, is it people are going? Um, listen, that Gone Girl went really good. We need something with girls. That's something that's girly. Yeah, something yeah. girly. So yeah, mm. I don't know. So and they maybe. all do kind of meld into one, and not mm. in a way that makes me all that enthusiastic, I must say. So, okay. but I thought, all right, I feel like a thriller, and it was very compelling. I mean, I read it. Um, pretty fast because mm. I, you know, kept picking it up because I was kind of gripped by it. So right. it was, you know, a reasonable structure. Okay, and so a good holiday read. Yeah, yeah. Well, good for me during the election campaign when I just want some mindless stuff yeah, to... Yeah, totally, I think, yeah. Right. I mean, um, there seem to be, like, a bunch of themes to those sorts of books that are, like, there's got to be come some sort of scandalous infidelity. Mm. There's real kind of, like, interrelationship issues mm. and then... The plot twists, and there are a bunch of them in this book, and are all sort of centered around. Oh my God! You'll never guess this person's the father of that, you right. know, or you know, okay. that sort of thing. Oh, good. That's but awesome. it was. Um, I certainly raced through it and enjoyed it. So, um, um, you know, Leanne Moriarty, who we like. Yes. She has a new book about to come out. Does she? Yes. So. Oh, that'll. Um, I love it. That that'll should... break the internet, won't yes, it? Yes, it will. Um, we should keep an eye out for that because um, she. Right, so I reckon very readable, pacey stuff that's well accessible but well written. Yeah, well, definitely. So, and yeah. she's what she's a genius at too is just really, really locking into a demographic as mm. well um, because she's got a great ear and um, the husband's secret um, is one and then what, there's another one that's about the school quiz night that Big turns evil. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. Yeah. It's just, it's, I mean, I'm, I don't know if it's deliberate or whether it's just, you know, she writes about what she sort of observes or whatever, but, like, it's that um, there is an incredible um, uh, resonance there for mm. um, women with kids that are dealing with, like, schools and, yeah. you know, the school politics and stuff yeah. like that. So there's a lot of um, resonance there, I think, mm. in those books. Um, I also read Carolyn Overington's new book. Oh, yeah, okay. The One, the one Who, who got, got Away. away. Yeah. And that is, um, that's a real page-turner as well, actually. Oh, I really enjoyed reading that. She's, um, so Carolyn Overington is a very versatile writer, isn't she? She she's, is, And yeah. the thing that I think she's best at, I mean, she's a very accomplished novelist and really successful as well, and this book will do well. I think it's, um, it's um, a, again, very gripping. There's, a, like, there's some nice twists and it really kind of, um, it, it's sort of written as though it's in America, though, like, it's all set in America. Oh, OK. And the characters are American. Well, she's just been living in America. Yes, so. she has, yeah. yeah. It's really interesting because I know that she's just come home recently, but it's sort of, the book is um, written like it's 
um, all the characters are American, but then some of the turns of phrase you're like, Caroline! <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but the thing that I will mention about Caroline Overton that I really admire is that I don't think anyone writes about the family court like she does. 100% In agree. Fact, I think nobody does that. And I, I just feel like it's so interesting that um, there's this whole area of litigation that historically in this country has been viewed as too hard for um, reporting because you can't reveal people's identities and you can't um, photograph them and you can't whatever. Um, and as a result, I think there's this huge legal culture and kind of set of patterns and precedents that has just been comparatively unreported. Yeah. She's really good at keeping an eye on and finding significant cases and reporting them in a way that informs the debate without, you know, running foul of any of the... I agree. I think her family court reporting is <coughs> peerless and I think it is important. Yeah. Um, and I think she is a remarkably talented writer because pretty much everything she writes across whatever genre, she just... She is the hookiest writer. She just yeah. hooks me right in from the first sentence and then I've read all the way through. Even things like she wrote this piece in the Weekend Australian a few weeks ago about a woman... It was a precedent setting case that ended up in the High Court. A woman who you know, decades ago was raped in her marriage. Her husband was really brutal. Um, and years later she decided, I'm not okay with that and I, yeah. want to, I want him to be charged. And there was mountains of evidence because she'd shown up in hospital multiple times yeah. and neighbours had seen things and various, various stuff. I won't go into it now because it's all very disturbing. But um, she took, the husband, she took this action. Um, and he, it was found that you could be raped in a marriage. Yeah. Um, that being, that the, the fact it was your husband had yeah. done it was no... Um, defence. Anyway, Caroline um, told this in a really sensitive and absorbing manner um, and it was just incredible. And yeah. I, just, I, don't, I don't think anyone's done that sort of reporting. I think it's just always been viewed as a bit hard. I mean, mm. you know, of course family court cases have been reported before but I just think sometimes there are um, stories that are so common mm. that um, they need to be they can be overlooked, you know. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and you can miss huge patterns, I think. And they're often also very sad and involve really horrible abuse. And so I think sometimes, like I know, I don't really want to be immersed yeah, in that. And so yeah. I think um, it's brave of her to go yeah. wading into that and looking yeah. looking for important stories. So, yeah, I, I highly rate her writing. Um, Speaking about um, bravely wading into further into disturbing stories. I also just finished reading um, the book version of The Killing Season. Oh, I just started that last night. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I was surprised how so much it looked me in. Yeah. It's so great. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I assume, like, you know, other people, you know, you look at the book and it's like a book of the series. You think, mm. oh, yeah, okay. Oh, well, I love the series. I really loved it. But, I mean... What That's am what I going to read thought, the transcript of it? I don't know. Yeah. But it's so enthralling. Like I, it's it's absolutely required reading. I, I think because yeah. not just because it tells you because um, it, it it quotes from the series and it, it quotes from the um, you know interviews given by the I don't know hundreds of interviews that they did, but it contextualizes what was happening as they were trying to arrange those interviews. It talks about the methodology that the documentary team used, um, both Sarah's approach to interviewing these subjects and also um, the producers and how they addressed various, you know, issues of continuity. And, like, it tells you so much about how the to make a documentary. It. And yeah. it's so, 
Fascinating. There's so much weird detail in there that um, I think explains a little bit about what politicians are trying to achieve when they consent to interviews. Mm. And, like, there's this absolutely, oh, to my mind, just sort of psychologically gripping um, element where Sarah Ferguson is talking about um, trying to get interviews with Kevin Rudd and he didn't want to be interviewed in Australia and eventually he agreed to interview on the ground on the basis that they would come to Boston and film him at the university mm. where he's teaching and, and he would not they were getting like overlay shots of him walking around the university and he would not consent to be filmed on his own at yeah. any point so he had this like um, Chinese student with him called Jing that he would always be ne like have Into next to him so basically hardly any of this footage was usable because there's always this Jin hanging around Jing, Jing hanging around to whom um, Rudd was constantly talking in Mandarin even though Jing spoke English <laughs> oh my god but isn't that incredible because you think of in that documentary people got in trouble for the overlay that they participated in yeah. so Sam Dastiari pretending to be I think on the phone and Tony Burke doing a yeah. corridor walk carrying a bottle of wine like yeah. reenacting the nine million yeah. Gillard and they were sort of pilloried and got some negative attention for doing that stuff yeah. and here's Kevin smart enough to know okay if they get a shot of me when I am alone it is yeah. going to be used to portray me being as isolated yeah. and as a loner and so therefore I will not give them that uh, yeah. picture so yeah it's, it's, um, it's interesting isn't it and so yeah I started that and I'm really loving it I've also started reading um, you know we've previously talked about that cluster of British male writers Ian yeah. McHugh and Julian Barnes yeah. Christopher Hitchens yeah. that group Martin, I just started last week reading... I, I realised I haven't read any Julian Barnes. Oh, right, and So okay. I started reading a book called Nothing to be Afraid of. And... I don't think I've read that one. It's It started off... I'm not actually sure what it's going to be about. It started off as a, sort of a memoir. Um, yeah. And... I mean, you know, stop the presses. Julian Barnes is a great writer. Here's something, people, that you won't have heard before. But just the rhythm of his writing. Hang on, excuse me for a second. <coughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. All right. Sorry. That's beauty. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Um, but, oh, it's just, it's really pleasurable, just the actual, the content's interesting and it's, it's, um, it's about growing up in his family and his parents and his, his relationship as an adult with his brother, who's a philosopher, who he seems to sort of be fond of but also to find quite annoying. And yeah. So there's little moments of, of laughter. But the rhythm of the writing is really beautiful. But also, I, even like things like I keep thinking about the title, Nothing to be Afraid of, and thinking, imagine how clunky it would have been if he'd called it Nothing of Which to be Afraid. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, grammar clunkers. Yeah, <laughs> it's just... It, but anyway, I'm just actually really enjoying it and thinking, why haven't I read any Julian Barnes? Oh, I think um, I've read a bit of his stuff. He's, he is a ridiculously talented writer. I'm actually reading, um, well, I've sort of ground to a halt a bit with his latest at the moment called The Noise of Time. Oh, yeah. And it's, you have that bunch of blokes that are all obsessed with the Cold War in some way or another. <laughs> like, they're all, they're all mad for... Well, the, they kind of they dream of Russia in some area of their their souls, I think. Well, they, would they have been children when Kim Philby and all of them were busted? Or I guess so. They would have all gone Maybe. to the same yeah. colleges and stuff, so probably that mythology. They're all obsessed with Stalin, though, right? So yeah. this one, um, the noise of time, um, is uh, about the composer Shostakovich oh, yeah. and um, and his sort of obeisance to Stalin you know he kind of he kind of went along to get along kind of thing 
and it's sort of quite an interesting analysis of what happens when artists try to, um, you know, preserve their own functionality by giving in to some extent to a dictator or, you know, mm. accepting some of the um, creative restrictions that yeah. a regime places upon them just so that they can keep working. And it's yeah. kind of heartbreaking because it's about, you know, all he wants to do is write music and as was the case for many artists under that regime, you know, it wasn't enough. Like, even music was politicised to the point where, you know, you had to be either a, um, you know, a, a party man or a... Or mm. a um, or a, a renegade who gets chucked into prison. Um, anyway, but it just makes me wonder about... I mean, the book is, of course, um, you know, brilliantly realised and it it feels like um, it's narrated by a Russian artist because mm. that's how clever Julian Barnes is. Right. Um, but it makes me think about that generation. I mean, like Martin Amos wrote um, a book, Coba the Dread, about Stalin. They all go there eventually, like in Christopher Hitchens, you know. I don't know. It's with Ghana. It's it well, yeah, although to... I think in Ghana's defence, possibly less of a murdering psychopath than, <laughs> than Stalin, marginally. <laughs> but maybe it's... I think it's interesting that there's... Um, maybe every generation has to have its, its, its war, like its ideological struggle and I guess for that generation it was about the Cold War or it was about um, communism versus capitalism mm. you know and about the great guilt I think of that generation sometimes that um, that particularly at university you know there was this sort of passion for communism before sort of ultimately realizing what that right. regime was all about I don't know just um, speaking of communism pulls me back to the Americans <laughs> Um, I can't believe it's just like I've actually just oh. built a little opportunity with blocks there for you just to sort of <laughs> swoop in. <clears throat> exactly, it's almost like I planned it. The <coughs> recent season, I'm, I'm up to date with what's on air in Australia, but America's more ahead. But it's actually been a really interesting case study in the creation of tension and then in the episode that I just watched last night, the resolution of it, which yeah. happened very rapidly actually. And it was actually. The previous week, I, I had been so filled with dread and this sort of <laughs> just, I could barely watch it. And I was sitting there, every sort of thing that would happen, I'd be going, oh, my God, oh, God, no. Oh, oh. Like, it was just hard to watch. And uh, now they've sort of pulled it back down again. I was thinking, these people are manipulating me so effectively with this thing. I'm just beside myself about it. Anyway. I bet the writers have just got, like, target audience. They've just got a picture of you. That's who they visualise when they're writing. Um, two quick things, and I better uh, run off. One is um, I have been watching. I've watched the first episode of the current season of Wentworth, which is the remake oh, of Prison, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I've watched the other seasons, and it is a really good show. They have done very, very well with that. It's, okay, I must uh, yeah. watch it because I I haven't watched it. Yeah, but I've on occasion thought. Why haven't I watched that? If you put off because you think, oh, how do you do a remake of Prisoner? Because Prisoner's so naff and such yeah. a show of its time. They've basically taken the premise of Prisoner and some of the main characters and yeah. then departed from it yeah. quite significantly. But they've done it really effectively. It's definitely one of the best Australian uh, dramas I've ever seen. And uh, also, I can't remember. I know I talked about it, but I, I'm not sure you'd watched it. The Secret City start, starts this Sunday night, oh, on Foster, right. which is That's the fun. Canberra thriller yeah, yeah. based on the books of... 
Chris Yulman and Steve Lewis, which I think will be right up your the, alley. The, they put those books out together, actually, I saw in the airport while right. I was fruitlessly combing the shelves for my own book, <laughs> as happens. Um, what are these little note cards that you've got here? They're so beautiful. They're, oh, they are. She's got this thing on her desk um, that's... Um, no, no, you keep them. They're like a little um, set cards. of notebooks that came with a um, packet of tea. Oh, lovely. Hilariously enough. Um, all right, well, we'll uh, get away from you with our barking coughs. <laughs> Hope we haven't infected any of you listening. Well, look, honestly, <laughs> those the, pathos, the pathogens are determined <laughs> enough to rip through both of our families. So. <laughs> See you soon. See ya. Thanks for my lunch, too. Pleasure.